Hello everyone, I'm your host Celesto and I want to welcome you to the first ever episode of the Better Boys podcast, a podcast dedicated to helping boys discover the path to true masculinity. We talk about topics ranging from nutrition, fitness and spirituality to psychology and philosophy, anything related to self-improvement basically. I'm very pleased to not only have you, but also Parv with me today to kick off this first episode. Parv is currently 26 years old and is studying for biomedicine. Parv and I know each other via the Hamza's Cult Discord and he has been giving lectures there for about a year now and currently has a little more than 800 subscribers on his YouTube. I invited Parv to talk about addiction with me today because the first episode I would absolutely love to get your feedback. I hope you enjoy. So uh, welcome Parv, it's great to have you. How are you doing? Man, I'm doing fantastic and I appreciate you inviting me up to your podcast for your first guest. I really appreciate that. Yes, the first time. Man, I'm excited to to get into our topic today because um, uh, we figured we were going to talk about addiction. And that's a big thing because that's exactly what my audience needs um, because that's really what it's all about. And I want you to ask, I want to ask you, like, what is an addiction for you? How would you describe an addiction for, for the listeners? Honestly, it's a really fantastic question. It's almost like, I would categorize it as a sort of compulsive engagement in some sort of rewarding stimuli. It's like, even though there's adverse consequences to your action, you're kind of compulsively engaging in whatever vice you have. That's how I would personally categorize it. Yeah. So, and and to add to that, a lot of people do that as kind of a way to, to uh, cope with certain emotions. So mm-hmm. it's kind of like a dependence on on whatever like people think it's it's only at least most people think it's only with with porn or with drugs for example but it can also be with with uh giving compliments to people or being a nice guy and suppressing your emotions to please others those kind of things it's it's really everything to to deal with a certain emotion and Mm -hmm. uh, for example an an author which i really like it's called uh, dr gabor mate he says that uh, it's a response to to human suffering. Uh, how does that feel to you if I say that? Yeah, I mean, a lot of the times, yeah, I totally agree with you with what you're saying. People use all these different sort of drugs or social media or whatever, all these addictive things to really cover up for emotions that they don't have the strength or they don't have the knowledge or resources to actually uh, process these emotions so a lot of the time yes it's it's really that they're just trying to cover up for their suffering yeah so it's it's kind of an attempt to solve problem because people don't know how to solve it for sure yeah all right so how, how would you say people people can recognize that addiction so people people may think now when listening is like mm, am i addicted to the certain thing how, how do you think people can recognize that honestly everyone knows themselves best and if you if you're addicted to something you know you're addicted to something it's really easy to recognize especially after being aware of it in the first place asking yourself these questions like you know look how much time am i spending doing for example a good example is social media people don't yeah. really know they're addicted until they try to stop until they realize like oh shit i tried to stop using social media but here i find myself back to it i i can't stop myself it's compulsive once you realize this and 
and you kind of figure out that no matter what I do, I just keep coming back to it. Even though I don't want to do yeah. this activity, I still do it anyway. And that's, that's kind of how you realize you're addicted, but it's really easy and you kind of know you're addicted to things once you're aware and you're con- really consciously intentional about how you do what you do and how purposeful you are with your actions. Yeah, but the people that are the deepest, they, they deny at first, huh? They deny sure. that it's just something they, they like, right? It's, it's like if you ask people right now why they watch porn, everybody just thinks it's, it's something that they like. The people mm-hmm. that are really at the deepest uh, that you could possibly be in being lost, you know? Um, sure. So, yeah, I would, I would definitely say, like, if, if you compulsively engage in something, it doesn't really matter what, and you have difficulty stopping the behavior, you are relapsing while you're setting intentions to quit yeah then definitely mm-hmm. you are addicted and it, the difference between a passion or something you like is really that a passion creates something and an addiction just consumes you for sure you only you only <laughs> you only engage in that behavior and it keeps coming back every time mm-hmm. and i mean I've had a lot of experience with that and it's, and it's fucked up because I'm, I'm here as an authority on this podcast and I'm, I'm, I'm going to help you quit your addiction, but I'm going to be honest with you. I'm, I'm not totally off my own shit as well, because I still, the, the emotions that trigger my addiction are still there. So I'm, I'm not totally recovered from, from what I have been through, but, but at least I'm, I'm on the, I'm on my way to, to doing that. Mm-hmm. And that's why I want to ask you, part. what's your experience with addiction? Honestly, I've never been like super addicted to the point where, you know, like no matter what I did, no matter how I conducted myself, I found myself going back to this thing at all times. The only thing that could maybe get onto that category was a pornography addiction. And I'll just condense it yeah. down to saying PMO just for simplicity's sakes, but that was the only addiction that I've had where, you know, no matter what I did until I finally discovered a resource known as easy peasy method, I highly preached that book uh, until I found that resource. I just completely could not stop that habit, whatever I did. And I'm referring to it as a habit when it's actually an addiction, just for, again, for simplicity's sake, but mm-hmm. no matter what I did, no willpower didn't do it. Reframing my mindset didn't do it. Uh, looking at it in different lights, using affirmations, using whatever, every technique I found on the internet, nothing worked until easy peasy. And it's just something that destroyed like my virility, my health, my happiness, my energy. It's like, it was almost like a void within me that just kept pulling everything inwards. But it, but it also has to deal with like the the sexuality part of of just Mm -hmm. your human nature that stays right so that's that's a really difficult thing with with porn to quit that but but what was the easy peasy method you said has helped you yeah the uh easy peasy method it's a online book and it's based off of a hack book used for quitting cigarettes and what it does is it i mean i i said that reframing doesn't work but the way that this book does it it reframes uh, PMO in a way that you see it as a, a poison in a sense. You use it and you gain nothing from it. And it just, it's really difficult to explain because it's like condensing an entire book into a couple sentences. Yeah. But it's really just, it reframes how you look at it. And 
from my experience with it, it instantly killed the addiction. And I was free from it the second I finished that book. Okay, so what did you do when you had an urge? Because you definitely did still have urges to do it, right? The thing is, what the book preaches is it preaches killing the big monster and the little monster. The big monster being the brainwashing, the societal brainwashing that comes from just, you know, living life. Because people always are like, oh, PMO gives you pleasure. It gives you relief, uh, what's it called? Release from boredom. It gives you whatever, satisfaction, whatever. Yeah. And the book goes into depth and it breaks down these fallacies and it kind of removes the societal brainwashing that you are conditioned into. So that already, that kills the, the main addiction of what it is. And really a lot of what causes like urges and triggers is fear of missing out. And a lot of fear in general around like quitting and what happens if I don't have this. So once you kill that, already you don't really have urges at that point yeah that's that's definitely a big part of it yeah but but for what what i see in myself is that um of course it it also comes back the the urge to do something when you are just bored because then your mind starts wondering but Mm -hmm. what i see in a lot of others and within myself as well is that it's it's a certain situation emotionally or certain emotion that you feel that kind of triggers you into going in your solution let's call it because that's that's what what you have been using it for as a solution to deal with your emotions for a long long time and so every time right now because my my addiction is totally linked uh, to my feeling of loneliness because uh, since I was young I haven't been really like fitting in mm-hmm. and um now I'm on self-improvement. I feel much better because I'm taking good care of myself, but because I'm, I'm consciously working on myself and that's not really what society looks like right now. The loneliness isn't going away. Right. So Mm. because that stays, my addiction isn't totally going away as well. So I'm, I'm not like, like I used to be where I used to like, I used to jack off like multiple times a day. Okay. A few years ago. And now, now it's, it's a lot less than that mm-hmm. but when i'm really down bad and i feel really fucked up that's that's when it comes back for me so mm-hmm. and well there's for me really right now i feel like i'm making big s- steps towards really healing because i'm i'm in psychotherapy right now and i'm i'm learning a lot about myself and you know i really think it's it's important to kind of find uh a way to like deal with the urges mostly because the the urges for me was the hardest thing of course like every time i got an urge i i just feel that my mind is playing tricks on me and i'm i'm losing trust in myself because every time i make the promise that i'm gonna quit but then when i get an urge i indulge in it another time and i and then after that it's so destructive it's such a destructive cycle because every time I feel even more fucked up and I lose trust in myself. So what, what has worked for me mostly is when you get an urge to kind of literally have a immediate response to doing mm. uh, to, to what comes up in your mind. So it's like, I have an urge and you know what to do when you have an urge. So you go, mm. for example, you go outside to go for a walk immediately. 
because then, I mean, you are not going to do the shit outside, right? I mean, you must be really crazy if you are going to do that. So sure. like I've been doing that for a couple of months now and that, that has really worked for me um, to do that. And especially getting into how my addiction has developed because of the insights that I have gotten from looking at that, from looking at my childhood and just the way kind of my mind works that mm. has really helped for me to overcome this. And like, how would you say your addiction had developed itself? Well, honestly, I never see it. The thing is before I go into this topic, I just wanted to say that addictions arise for a plethora of different reasons. And the main two reasons, for example, if we take what I was talking about with the brainwashing and PMO, that is one major reason that people start using PMO in the first place. Another reason was like in your case, where it's a lot about childhood trauma, a lot of covering up for emotional feelings. So it's, it's really different with what it takes place. For me personally, a lot of uh, these addictions was just purely, oh, dopamine, 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 oh, pleasure, relieving boredom, all this stuff. So me in that case, that's how my addiction developed. It was never sort of a covering up of childhood trauma or emotions. It's more of pleasure seeking. And I wouldn't say like it ever really arise from emotional damage. Okay. Yeah. So, so you, you wouldn't say that it for you, it was like a big trauma event that you no. was covering up. Okay. So, but was it a way to kind of make yourself feel momentarily calmer or more excited or less dissatisfied with your life? Like what would happen if you would just stop engaging in it? You could not See, quit, right? What, what I think it was, it was a combination of a lot of different things. Obviously, I feel like the main thing was just like, just general dopamine addiction to the fact that like it was, if it, it felt pleasurable to watch, it felt in the moment or what, or even when I'm not doing it, it just felt good to do. But when you realize that it's sort of comparable to hitting your head on a wall and then getting the relief of stopping hitting your head when you stop hitting your head on the wall. So I realized it was a false pleasure of sorts, but Back then, when I didn't realize this, it was really just, oh, pleasure, 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 pleasure. And even during times of stress, it's like, oh, I need to do this so I, I feel less stressed in the moment. Type of thing. Yeah. So, I mean, I think everybody uses this, uh, uses this addiction as, as kind of a way to deal with their emotions. But for mm-hmm. most people, that's, that's really an unconscious thing uh, because it's, it's mostly always connected to one particular trigger. And that trigger can range from thousands of events that can, can happen. Mm-hmm. For example, if, if, if you are being bullied at school, like I was, for me, it was a perfect way to escape from what I was feeling. So I was just suppressing my emotions by engaging in this thing. And, you know, for, for a lot of people, it's also really the developmental experiences that really determine, um, the functional status of the mature brain. So uh, for a lot of people, like if, if the early years of your childhood have been very stressful, you are very likely to, to engage in these kind of things. Uh, because uh, again, this, this author that I was talking about, Dr. Gabor, he says that in a very real sense, the, the parent's brain literally programs the infant's brain. Mm. And that's, that's even when, 
when you are still in your mother's stomach, you know? For sure. Because, I mean, babies are blank slates, right? They're, they don't have any sort of worldview or solid philosophy that they've built themselves. So what they do is they look up to their parents, the people around them, to really form that identity and kind of find out who they are. That's why a lot of times when you have these narcissistic parents, these uh, obsessive parents or these people who, you know, they don't know how to raise a child properly. They end up, you know, they put their ideology onto them. If they're overly critical, if they're overly harsh, if they don't, uh, yeah. you know, yeah, give but that's the love, extreme like, stuff. That That's the extreme stuff. But it can also be already when, when your mom overworks and she's suppressing her emotions, mm-hmm. um, that can already have an impact for you. Because if you, for example, I saw my mom being stressed because of the relationship that she had with my dad and also because of work. And she was really into like pleasing others and suppressing her emotions. And it caused me to suppress my own emotions because I thought, yeah, mommy is stressed. Like I can't express my emotions now because that will make her feel worse. Right. So for me, the, the addiction was a way of, um, escaping that and finding a way to deal with those emotions and it's it's really like even when you you are still in your mother's womb you literally get programmed because she's she's literally creating you in the process right so if she has stress like extreme stress in those kind of moments it's it literally gets inherited in your dna because you are you are being created in that moment and it's 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 insane like people sure. the the moms who are very stressed during pregnancy they give birth to children who will be very more likely to engage in addiction and sure or or they have ADHD or whatever and it's yeah and if we go into the science behind why that happens is obviously you know about cortisol and cortisol you know it's it's a natural uh, hormone and it's something that we normally encounter on a day-to-day basis just being regularly stressed, but especially during times of pregnancy, if you get that really high spike of cortisol, or you're on a, uh, like a chronic level of stress, the baby's still inside you, that cortisol is in your blood, and the blood is going to your baby. So that automatically will make your child have more cortisol in their body. And they're not ready for that extreme level of stress, you know what I mean? Yeah, and then and then you have the first three years of age, because, um, it's it's insane. Like I, I didn't even know that before before I was reading books about this. But it's like by three years of age, the brain has reached ninety percent of its adult size. So if your three first years of your life have been immensely stressful, then you're you're gonna have scars from this for your entire life. Mm-hmm. It's, it's insane, and th- that can be the cause of of your addiction for the listener right now that can literally be the cause of your addiction, the emotions, the, the traumatic events that have happened back then, they can be the cause of, of what you're dealing with right now. And, it, and it's, it might even be fucking 15 years ago for you. It might be 10 years ago for you. And, and that's still inside of your system. And it, it, isn't that insane, bro? Because that, for me, that has been exactly the same. I'm not off that addiction totally right now as well because it's been stuck in my system for so long Mm. yeah so really the the brain development during early infancy is really the single most important factor uh 
for determining whether or not somebody will be addicted. So if, if your parents were stressed, you probably learned to suppress your emotions, just like I told about me. And w- without like being properly, uh, having a proper attachment relationship with your parents, so being able to count on them and having them as emotional support, you cannot develop optimally. And that's, that's just, for, for a lot of people, that's really the cause of, of what they are dealing with. And then we have a lot of myths about nicotine and genes, for example. Like, like what, what do you think about nicotine? What do you think that, that has an influence on, on being addicted uh, to cigarettes, for example? Well, I mean, personally, I've never had some sort of experience with an addictive chemical such as nicotine, or in fact, I would say like really anything except for like just a pure dopamine addiction. But obviously, in your brain, you have these receptors for uh, nicotine or that was a cannabis opioids or something. And what that does is like, obviously, it releases pleasure in your brain. So over time, like, your brain is going to want to keep having more and more of this pleasure uh, through nicotine or whatever. So if you just, you know, keep indulging in that chemical, it's going to keep releasing this pleasure in your brain, causing you to be addicted. Because uh, the nicotine is the thing that, that releases the dopamine eventually. Mm. Yeah. Right. But, but a lot of people uh, have an excuse that they are addicted to cigarettes because of the nicotine, but that's not really like, that's in a chemical sense that that's what happens chemically, but, but not literally because it, there's always emotions evolved in, in this. And, and that's, that's really like a lot of people blame nicotine genes or, or the drugs itself for being addicted, but then they don't deal with like the core issue. Mm. And that's, that's really fucked up because for example, genes, like genes can only be like that that's a it's a it's a science called epi, epigenetics if i pronounce it right yeah, and that's and they, they believe that as a result of important life events chemicals attach themselves to dna and they direct gene activity so it's not like a gene is a a fucking dominant uh, thing that can just destroy you and and uh, w- will give you like a destiny of your life because mm-hmm. they they have to be affected by a certain thing and that can be your diet but it can also be your emotions in the case of addiction sure. so the the epigenetics effects are like they are the most powerful during early childhood because that's as i said when uh your brain develops the most because really the the 10 years after that it's it's really only a, a f- small things are going to be uh inherited in your brain so sure. genes can really only be turned on or off by the environment 99% of the time um so even when your dad has for example a a gene of of cancer that he has given to you through dna that that can still only be turned on or off by the environment that doesn't mean that you will have cancer. Um, so there are no autonomous dictators. And what I really think is, is that most people, they, they talk about genes and substances as a blame for being addicted to kind of remove the, 
the responsibility that they have because it really removes responsibility from our actions and they nobody has to acknowledge that they are responsible for what's happening to them so like i, I used to be the guy who who would scream the hardest about nicotine and jeans like that, that that's the type of guy i used to be and i, I really think that's that's a big problem because you see this this type of bullshit online as well people trying to help with addiction they talk about nicotine and jeans but it's just bullshit it's just bullshit mm-hmm. so like i also think that's the reason why really anything can be an addiction because it it has nothing to do with nicotine it it really has to do with what 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 releases the dopamine for you mm-hmm. that's that's really the thing uh so if if it makes you satisfied to to be a nice guy and suppress your emotions so you can satisfy other people that's what releases the dopamine for you and you can be addicted to that but also to gaming so it, it doesn't really matter so but but c- can you explain them a bit about uh the whole chemical stuff about addiction like what what happens when when somebody gets an urge for example sure i mean really what I like to base addiction off of and how I like to frame it is through something known as the pleasure pain balance. It's a concept uh, discussed in the book, Dopamine Nation. So just, uh, I just want to quickly go over the kind of chemistry. Actually, no, I, I don't think that's uh, very necessary right now, but basically what the pleasure pain balance is, if you think of a seesaw, just visualize it in your head. Think of a seesaw. On the left-hand side, we have pleasure, drugs, whatever, uh, just pleasure in general. And on the right side, we have pain. And now when we start stacking a bunch of things on the pleasure side, we have a PMO addiction, video games, social media, drugs, that starts to weigh down on the pleasure side. And what that does is if you think of the seesaw ride, you have, you have a lot of weight on the one side, so it's going to push the pain side off. Yeah. Now you're in pain. Now you're facing those emotional feelings. That's really how the addiction kind of works. So every time, uh, you know, you start going down and, and you have that pain side pushing up. Now you're like, oh, I need more pleasure to compensate. And you keep doing this cycle. Eventually, your baseline happiness, your baseline levels are so low that you need to be on these drugs and whatever to feel normal and it keeps going downhill eventually you need drugs to just feel somewhat normal and and it keeps going lower to the point where even when you're in pain and and you're using these drugs you still feel in pain yeah so that's that's also why people have like even with with porn even though it's not a drug they have uh these symptoms of uh like really i i felt that when i was quitting uh it, it like in the early stages i i felt this that my body was acting weird and stuff i had so much stress and like th- that also really has to deal with it i think mm-hmm. like the the whole the whole thing that that you used to use to to make to give you that dopamine kick to make you satisfied it, it's just going away out of nowhere that's also why people can't quit right away Sure. What what do you think about about people finding out about NoFap and then they they want to stop their behavior right away? What do you think about that? 
That's well, a that's a good one. Now, I feel like quitting cold turkey. It really depends on what you're actually quitting. See now, if it's something like a actually hard drug like nicotine, you're trying to quit heroin or, or some shit like that. That's not something that you can instantly quit right away. Not only because it's even more addictive, like hundreds of times more addictive than something like yeah. GMO. Yeah, but because it also... interferes with the chemicals as well. With exactly that. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So it, just quitting cold turkey off that can have life-threatening symptoms. The actual withdrawal symptoms from quitting something like heroin, just cold turkey, could kill you potentially. And it's likely that it would kill you because your brain is yeah. so used to that. But something like nofap, something like quitting PMO in general, that's something that you can quit cold turkey. Personally, that's how I quit PMO. Personally, yeah, for, that's for how me, I quit social media and video games. For, yeah, with with the social media and with video games, that I, I've done exactly the same as as you said, quitting right away. But but with porn, it was a lot harder for me. And I think that if you really want to quit an addiction the right way. Uh, you should do what what Hamza has said a lot of times. It's it's that uh, you should slowly build into engaging um, or decreasing the amount of time you spend engaging in the addiction, and that's that's what I do for myself right now. Especially like if you are if right now you are trying to quit your addiction, you just started doing that. I think it's best if if people start by applying rules from their, for, for themselves that they, they get to do it like a few times a week, for example, at the start, because a lot of us, we have done this shit multiple times every day. So it's like slowly decreasing the amount of times you do it. Do, do you think that's better than quitting right away? Because really like a lot of people will build up this guilt cycle where they beat themselves up because they can't stop right away. Honestly, it really depends on a person-to-person basis. See, sometimes when you do kind of go into diets of sorts and kind of cutting down consumption in that way, you kind of turn whatever you're using into a forbidden fruit of sorts. So when you aren't using it, you're kind of like, oh, I get to use it in X days. I, I'm, I'm waiting for that. So you, you have that desire of wanting to like reach that goal. But some people, they never actually see it as a forbidden fruit of sorts so it really depends on a person-to-person basis for me personally quitting just cold turkey is best for me for another person that might be the worst thing possible it really it depends on context and on a person-to-person basis and it's a lot of experimentation with yourself yeah i think it's it's because uh like you said you thought your your addiction wasn't based on traumatic experiences right yeah. Yeah, I think for for the people who have a habit that has been going on for 5 years for example or 3 years and they their cause is traumatic events, I don't think they can quit right away because like if you hear that a behavior like like uh fapping all the time is wrong, people can't stand the fact that they are doing something that's for example, dirty, because that's what being what's being pushed in their minds. It's it's dirty and it's you are doing something that's wrong. And and then I think it's if this behavior has been in your system for for what five years and you've been doing this every day, 
you cannot expect yourself to quit right away. Like mm. I expected myself to quit right away because I knew too damn well that I shouldn't be doing this. But then every time I kept still engaging in it and then I was beating myself up every time when I relapsed. So, so I didn't allow myself to slowly decrease the amount of times I watched that shit. I, I was mm-hmm. beating myself up every time. And I see that for a lot of people. They, I, I had this app, uh, like this porn blocker app. It's, it's kind of like a social media platform um, with people that are on NoFap. And every time I, I see messages there of people that, that uh, do all these kind of negative emotions uh, putting on there because they have relapsed. But I, I really think that relapse should not really be a thing. To a certain extent, if you have quit for three months, of course, it's a relapse if, if you are going to do it once again. But in the start, quitting right away, like the the danger, what I'm talking about here, the danger that I think is in there is that people will will not accept, like, bro, I, I almost, I was destroying myself so much with putting myself down that I was a bad person and that I was horrible because I was relapsing to the point where I was only making that shit worse for me. I became aware Mm. of what I was doing, but that didn't mean that I was going into the right direction. So there's a lot of danger to quitting right away, I think. But with the cigarettes, it's like you can just stop getting cigarettes and then like it's different. Like the porn is always there. You cannot really stop the porn because you can always access it kind of. So... That's a little bit different than quitting cigarettes because, uh, of course, the re- withdrawal symptoms are worse with, with those kind of things. But you can just stop getting cigarettes, right? Mm. So, yeah, but I think there's a danger, but it's also like you can do it in some instances. So, for you, that has worked. Mm. I mean... See, the thing is, a lot of times, like, even if you have that emotional baggage associated with whatever addiction, a lot of the times what that does is, like, even when you use whatever addiction, you're just pushing those emotions to the back of your mind, and you're not really giving yourself a chance to actually process them. So that's also why I feel like even quitting cold turkey can have its benefits as well, like, Because what that does is that forces you to then like go ahead and process those emotions. Obviously, you're going to feel bad and you're not going to feel as good. You're going to feel worse before you get better. So when you actually just fully quit, yeah, the first couple of weeks, you're going to feel like shit. You're going to be sad. You might even get depressed. But that gives you time to then process those emotions. That's like that's another reason why I prescribe just get off of it completely. Obviously, depending on the addiction. Yeah, but but it's more like I was more talking about that people expect themselves or they want themselves to quit right away, but it's mm. the behavior is so deep inside of them that they can't do that. And then they, they are like, yeah, I need to quit right away. But every time they relapse, because like it's a good, if you quit right away, that's fucking amazing. But I don't think people can do that. A lot of people can't. At mm. least for me, that was the case. I couldn't quit right away. It, it has like it's been 
it's been a little more than two years since I know about NoFap now, and I'm still not totally off that because the it, that behavior is, was so deep inside me because it's I I've been through a lot in childhood and that's still not totally out of my system. So that's for that's sure. why for me the I couldn't quit right away. But it's more, I mean, I think people can quit right away, but they shouldn't expect themselves to and mm-hmm. then beat themselves up with this this guilt. It's like, what what would you say people should do after a relapse? Because what I used to do is beat myself up and feel guilty about what I just did. Well, honestly, if we're talking, like, it depends. Again, addictions are different and it's really variable. But uh, I'm just going to take the example that, I mean, I wouldn't, Let's let's just take NoFap as an example. Yeah. Personally, I don't really do NoFap, but if I was on NoFap and I happen to relapse, it's really about just picking your head up, looking at what you did wrong, what mistakes you made. Maybe when you had the urge in the first place, did you try to distract yourself and go do push-ups or did you sit with the emotion were you present with it did you let it circulate through your body did you face the emotion rather than trying to hide from it did that work for you did that not work for you did uh going outside and and doing push-ups or whatever did that get rid of the emotion what worked for you what didn't and what lesson can you learn from what happened to you it's really about learning and trying to not seeing it as a failure of sorts see it as an opportunity to learn yeah, because you can definitely learn from it. Yeah, yeah, I, I've learned a lot from from relapsing, but I've also like every time that's when my depression kicked in as well. Like I was off it like for for a week or so, then and then I relapsed again, and I was feeling sad, and because of that sadness, yeah, it's it was like a, a cycle for me that mm-hmm. that was destroying me. But yeah, really after a, a relapse. What I do right now, if I would relapse, which is kind of my new mindset, which uh, I've acquired for like two months right now because of therapy. It's like after I I relapse right now, I I do some like really reflecting on what just happened and why it happened. Mm -hmm. And then so I can be prepared next time and, and do better. And yeah, that's really a lot better than you know, beating yourself up because that's what I used to do. And, sure. and it's really just, uh, it's destructive. So how would you say people can actually recover from their addiction? Like qu- quitting, we said quitting right away, but but how do we quit right away? How do we do those things? For sure. Now, I, I do want to go back to that uh, pleasure pain balance example that I was talking about earlier because yeah, I actually ahead. left out a portion of it. Yeah. So um, obviously, as I talked about, when you are using your addictions and you're going on to the pleasure side, I forgot to mention that what your brain does is it adds a sort of metaphorical weight to the pain side, weighing that downwards. And when it does that, it's super constant compensate. So it adds even more to the pain side. So what really needs to be done in order to quit addiction, right? And obviously, it's not possible to always just put it off rip. And I, I definitely have experience with that, like... Uh, especially in the example of uh, PMO. Uh, it took me quite a few times to actually quit before I was fully gone from it. So I, I can yeah. kind of sympathize with that. So 
what you really need to do is you need to sort of get yourself off of that uh, pleasure-seeking side and start uh, kind of undoing that balance, kind of reaching a more of a homeostasis of sorts. What that means is you need to find out how you can kind of mitigate triggers and urges to indulge in whatever you're doing. I feel like that's the, the main thing. And then also, it can also circle back to mental health. You need to find the root causes of your addictions. You need to be able to tackle those. You need to be able to be present with yourself. Uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah, the causes, that, that's the important thing. Don't, sure. don't just focus on removing the behavior, but look at the cause. Exactly. Exactly. Because you don't want to put these band-aid solutions over things. You really want to delve deep into the psyche and find what's actually causing the addiction to form in the first place. Is it merely dopamine or is it something that happened in my childhood? Am I covering up for feelings that, you know, I didn't get? What is the reason that I'm doing X behavior? That's what you really need to find out. So So the addiction is a symptom of your problem. Exactly. Yeah. Okay, so but but you you're gonna have to explain me again, right? So because I I wasn't really following the this this pleasure pain balance mm. because you said it was a a, a saw, a seesaw, yeah, a, a seesaw. Wait, so because bro, it's, it's gonna sound really crazy, but I don't even know what it is, bro. Oh, that's it, that's completely fine. I can... it, it's it's like it's like a skill or something or. Okay, so. Basically, what a seesaw is. So, if you think of think of a a board of wood, right? Just a floating board of wood, and what oh, that? No. Yeah, you know, it's I, I, I searched it now. I, yeah, I searched yeah. it now. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's that's a seesaw. Yeah, bro. We, yeah, we yeah. call that a, a whip wop in my language. <laughs> <laughs> we call that a whip wop. Yeah. Okay. Sure. Yeah. So, so the seesaw it has two sides. Yeah, so if, if you just think about it, on one side, just think of it as pleasure. And yeah. the other side is pain. And obviously, your body likes to keep homeostasis. So when you're involving yourself with these addictions, you could think of uh, what these addictions are as a metaphorical weight being added to the pleasure side. So you think of maybe yeah. a person sitting on the seesaw on one side. And now what that does is obviously the seesaw is going to go down towards yeah. the person who's sitting on that side. So the pleasure side, it's going to go down. You're going to feel good. You're going to feel lots of dopamine. But then on the other side, what your brain does is it adds metaphorical people onto the other side. So what it's going to do is it's going to add one person that doesn't get homeostasis. So it's going to add another person. And what it does is it usually super compensates. So that just means that so say you're indulging in whatever, it's going to add even more pain yeah. to, to get even yeah. further and tip okay. the balance of sorts. Yeah, now I understand it. So, yeah, it, it gets worse because metaphorically it, it adds weight to. Yeah. To, yeah. Okay. And so, what that would actually be yeah. is you're just getting desensitized to dopamine. That would be the actual sign. But, but that also means that, that you, you need uh, what you just said, you need more of the behavior to compensate for the same amount of dopamine, right? Exactly. Yeah. Okay. So more people on the seesaw. Sure. Yeah. Okay. So to to recover from addiction, we need to look at the cause and then replace those with 
a kind of a better way to live because we can we can quit all those things mm-hmm. but we can also or we also need to find something to replace it with right with For healthy sure. habits because um i mean if you do that it's it's fucking perfect bro like exactly. you, you quit your addiction and then you become a fucking uh, beast you know like adonis you, you become a beast <laughs> and then and then you you go to the gym and and you get like you, you get dopamine from from going to the gym as well right mm-hmm. exactly yeah and so that's it, actually yeah. that's a sort of pain of sorts you could put that in quotation marks so that's actually adding towards the side of pain and now a lot of times like for example with cold showers is a very good example of this that weighs down on the side of pain and now your body is actually super compensating on the other side so that's going to add weight to the pleasure side so by doing a cold shower something that's quote-unquote painful you're actually raising the pleasure side so if you do that alongside oh exactly the the way you feel after that that cold shower bro i i had like a I had a ice bath uh, workshop like a week ago or something. We we had this this bath with like fucking pieces of ice in there, and it was it was so insane. The the way you feel after coming out of that, it's oh, like you're you're totally full of life and energy, and and you love the world and and all that. Like so, I I really think yeah, it's it's if you can get like a healthy. Or, or create like a healthy source of your dopamine because I mean we hear so much about dopamine to the point right now where people think dopamine is a bad thing mm-hmm. but but I don't really think that's that, that's not the case you should just find healthy ways to to get it so for me I get my dopamine from achieving things and from working out cold showers and just in general, if I take good care of myself and I eat healthy and all that, I, I feel satisfied and, and I feel happy uh, because I'm kind of proud of myself in those kind of moments, right? So if you are quitting your behavior, but you are also replacing them with kind of healthy sources of the dopamine, that's just the perfect way to go about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So replacing the old toxic behaviors with healthy and beneficial habits and things you, you love to do things you love to do as well. So don't like, if you like to watch Netflix in, in the night, you don't have to necessarily remove those things. Like don't like, don't, if you start with, with this whole self-improvement stuff, be like, oh yeah, I need to quit all this bad behavior. Mm -hmm. Because then it's, then it's like, you're gonna fall apart like there's sure. there's nothing left so you're gonna burn yourself take it out. slow yeah tell you take it slow and and go like take small steps and and mm-hmm. then you will get big wins not not big steps because then you'll get small wins um so yeah really and, and i think uh really a por- important part about um this whole healing process that that you will go through is to to educate yourself about the ego and emotions and and trauma and and mother and son relationships for example th- those kind of things just reading books about it it you can reflect while reading those books and it 
the amount of growth that you get out of those things because that's mm-hmm. this is about dealing with the cause, right? We are dealing with the cause. So if you re- if you read a book about addiction and about trauma, you understand why you are addicted more because you are able to reflect on it. Mm-hmm. Because I mean, I would say the best thing to do is to go into therapy because like that's you will dive so deep when you do that to the point where you will uncover almost all the things who have been suppressed down into your system. So that's really one of the best steps, but reading books is a good habit for your development in general, because you can also read books about different things, Mm -hmm. but about trauma, if you do that while recovering from the addiction, those kind of things, they, kind of see it as like a, a boost right the, the, this fucking blue stuff that you drink uh how, how do you call them bro you did you play fortnite you know you know how it's called right the, the chug jug or something right yeah chug jug or something yeah those, <laughs> see, see it as that right you, you get like this extra shield because you, you you are reading a book about what's currently going on inside your head and and what has happened in the past so re- really i think that boosts it and there's also a lot of uh, re- recovery programs. Mm-hmm. You you been have you been into that uh, part? Recovery program. program, yeah, like uh, online recovery programs. Have you seen this like these twelve step programs, for example? Personally, no. I've, I've the only see the the main way I've learned to kind of go through addictions is this ten step process. I don't know if you want me to share it now or, or later. Oh, yeah, you, you can share it. You can share All it. All right. So this actually comes from that book that I referenced earlier, Dopamine Nation. Yeah. So the 10-step process or just the 10 main lessons is the relentless pursuit of pleasure and avoidance of pain leads to pain. That's the first thing. Two, recovery begins with abstinence. Number three, abstinence resets the brain's reward, reward pathway and with it, our capacity to take joy and simpler pre- pleasures. Number four, self-binding, so this is one of the little strategies you can use, creates a literal and metacognitive space between desire and consumption, a modern necessity in our dopamine-overloaded world. Five, medications can restore homeostasis, but consider what we lose by medicating our way, uh, away our pain. Number six, pressing on the pain side resets our balance to the side of pleasure. Seven, beware of get, uh, getting addicted to pain. So that's, that's another side topic. Eight, radical honesty. This is another one of those little tactics you can use. Uh, it promotes awareness. It enhances intimacy and fosters a plenty mindset. Number nine, pro-social shame. It's, a, it's another little side detail. Yeah. Affirms that we belong to the human truck. And then finally, instead of uh, running away from the world, we can find ourselves or find escape by immersing immersing ourselves in the drug or whatever. So that's like the ten little steps, and there's little uh, tactics and and whatnot. So like uh, pro-social shame, radical honesty. Uh, okay. All so this. should we should we go over the steps? Uh, like and take a few minutes to discuss all of the steps because I I've heard a lot, but. I have to say it, it was quite a bit of difficult words to the point where I don't really think the audience can actually grab w- what we just talked about without having to replay it a few times. Yeah, so, that's reasonable. Yeah. So, so should we go over step one? Yeah, sure. So okay. 
first of all, obviously recovery from whatever dopamine addiction or whatever addiction, it first starts with some sort of abstinence, whatever that is, whatever that's your, uh, I will use it X days in the week. I will not use it at all, whatever. The first step is actually just not using whatever drug you're using. And that would go ahead and reset your brain's reward pathway. So uh, if you think of dopamine and the amount of receptors you have in your brain, the more you use it, and if there is an excessive amount of flooding of dopamine in your brain, you will have less receptors. Simple concept. So when you start abstaining from whatever and you stop that dopamine flooding, your receptors start to resensitize. Yeah, so you literally rewire your brain. Exactly. Yeah. And so uh, now going into one of the toxic tactics that I discussed was something called self-binding. So that's just kind of, if you think of atomic habits, it's, it's another uh, concept that kind of relates to this one as well. It's distancing yourself from whatever drug you're using. Obviously, it can't really apply to everything, but something like cigarettes, right? Yeah. Get rid of them out of your house. Get as much distance as possible between you and whatever drug of choice. That's like uh, one of the main things. Create yeah. some sort of distance. There's okay. also, uh, I don't know if you wanted to touch on that. No, 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 go ahead. Continue. I was just saying, okay, because I'm, I'm okay. like, uh, yeah. Okay. And then uh, there's this thing as radical honesty and then pro-social shame. These two concepts kind of intertwine with each other. So first of all, obviously, radical honesty is just no matter what, you're not telling any lies. You're kind of, it, it would be considered kind of like a therapy of sorts. So uh, you're just going ahead and kind of letting out whatever uh, addiction you have. You're saying, I'm doing this. I'm indulging this. Uh, I've relapsed maybe now or whatever. So basically, it's the, if you think of a cycle of sorts, it's kind of difficult to lay this out. I have it in front of me. But uh, for the audience watching, just think of a, a circle, like with arrows going into each next uh, part. So the first part of it is overconsumption. And that will lead into shame. That leads into lying. And that leads into isolation. And then isolation leads into overconsumption. And the circle repeats itself. However, when you use these tactics, so obviously radical honesty and pro-social thing. It starts with overconsumption again. It leads into shame. But instead of lying, now you're radically honest. You tell the truth. And that yeah. leads into acceptance, which leads to belonging and decreased consumption, which breaks the cycle. Yeah, so, so if you choose for being honest instead of lying, you kind of change the course of the whole cycle. Exactly. All right. Yeah, we are definitely going to link uh, this book uh, down below in the description so people can can read it because we are like I, I, it was quite understandable for me to uh, to listen to what you were saying right now. Sure. So, but but this was was a step two or are we already further than step two? This is kind of like that's the most of the cycle. I, I had uh, mentioned a few of the the points like uh, talking about instead of running away from the world, you find yourself immersing in a drug, but those are kind of like the main takeaways of the book. The three like main techniques that the author describes are first uh, abstaining as much as possible, self-binding, so pushing whatever bad habit or addiction or whatever away as far as possible from you, uh, 
being as honest as possible. So instead of lying, you're radically honest. And then pro-social shame. So that would be like telling someone about your addiction. Oh yeah, that's definitely an important one. Yeah. Yeah. I, I didn't do that, man. I was too ashamed of, of mm-hmm. my habit that I didn't tell anybody. So then you're just facing it all alone. Like exactly. of course, like I had some, you know, people on Discord or something that, mm-hmm. that you can tell, but really in your environment, like your physical environment, if you don't tell anybody, I think that's really that's fucked, man, if you don't do that. But but sure. I understand it though. It's 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 a hard uh, it's thing. difficult, very yeah. difficult. All right, so so that's the the program of the book, right? So yeah, I I also have one that, that I found. It's it's from a guy called Russell Brand. Do you know him? I've heard of him before. Yeah, well, yeah, he he has um he has around six million subscribers on on YouTube, and um, he he has been addicted to uh, several drugs in the past, and he he made this twelve step program, which is also based on the. Uh, the regular 12-step program. Uh, I don't know the name of this guy who invented this, but this is the program that they use uh, in regular just drug clinics. And Russell Brand has kind of made his own version of of this 12-step recovery. And it's it's a really simple one. Um, So it's not with with circles and and all those things, but it's really like step one is, he says, are you a bit fucked? That's, that's really the first step. So it's it's basically you have to ask yourself whether or not you are fucked. And I mean, if you are addicted, you are fucked. So it's it's about acknowledging that you are fucked. And then you have step two, which is could you not be fucked? So is there a way to to recover from this? And then step three, it's just what you said. Are you on your own going to unfuck yourself? So you have to tell other people about this because it's it's hard to do this all on your own, right? So th- th- then you have step four, which is write down all the things that are fucking you up or have ever fucked you up and don't lie or leave anything out. So this is also like, I have this free PDF that you can download from Russell Brand, his website. I'm going to link that down below as well. This is the, like the full program of, a little bit more than 10 pages, you'll be journaling about this for for hours. And and that's a really good way to recover from this. So he wants you to write down all the things that were fucking you up. And then you have step five, which is honestly tell someone trustworthy about how fucked you are. So you have to tell somebody and that really stops it from being like people can check in on you and you can talk with others about your feelings and what you are facing. And I think if I would do that in the process of my addiction, it would go a lot faster. Did you tell somebody else that you were addicted? Uh, personally, never a person in real life. Only after like I was like I fully tackled my addiction and like I completely stopped it. Obviously, stories come up and whatnot, but. Uh, I mean, I've told people on Discord about things I'm struggling with, but I've never had an addiction that I was so enamored with that, you know, I, I really needed to tell someone in real life. Because personally, obviously, it depends with like, as we talked about earlier with the whole trauma thing, if it's an addiction based on that type of thing, telling someone in real life 
it's critical stuff. But I feel like personally, since addictions weren't so difficult to stop, I never needed to like, oh, I need to tell someone I need to go to therapy type of thing. Yeah, but it, but it is, I think for everybody, it is a good step though. But there's a lot of shame involved, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I think for me, it's a lot easier to tell somebody on Discord that I'm still addicted to to porn than telling it to what my parents god damn bro like this yeah. oh man I, I would never do that really like they they know that 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 uh i was addicted and that i am still struggling with it but not so deeply to the point that they know everything right so okay let's go let's go to step six right so then he says well that's revealed a lot of fucked up patterns. Do you want to stop it? Seriously? So you got to ask yourself, do you want to stop this? And of course you want to stop this. Like if you, if you know how fucked up this is, of course you want to stop it. So then you go to step seven. Are you willing to live in a new way? That's not all about you and your previous fucked up stuff. You have to. And then you go to step eight, prepare to apologize to everyone for everything affected by you being so fucked up. And, you know, I think with porn, that's not really a relevant thing for most of us. But if you are really like addicted to drugs, you know, some people have harmed their environment by their addiction. So, I mean, for those, this is really a, a critical step, of course. And then step nine is now apologize, unless that would make things worse. And then step 10 is Watch out for fucked up thinking and behavior and be honest when it happens. So that's, that's what you said with the cycles, right? Mm-hmm. If you choose for lying, the, the cycle repeats itself. But if you choose for honesty, you go into a whole nother cycle, which is positive. Um, and then step 11 is, of course, staying connected to your new perspective. So don't, so, so don't be fucking slipping back into this behavior when things uh you know, don't go very well with you emotionally. Mm. And then step 12 is look at life less selfishly, be nice to everyone and help people if you can. And I don't really understand this step, to be honest, but I mean, of course, it's important to be nice to everyone and help people if you can, because that's, I mean, you can use your your previous addiction as a, as a gift, really. I feel like the, the things that I've been through in my past are are something that has kind of gifted me to be able to be talking like this for the podcast, for example, or or helping people online because I want to be a therapist right now. Mm. And that that experience, yeah, it, it I feel like this is what I'm supposed to be doing because of what I've been through. So yeah. Be nice to everyone and help people if you can use this as a gift. If you have recovered from this, you can help other people recover because you have had this experience. So yeah, that was that was really what I had from this Russell Brands program. And I, and I have another one from Dr. Gabor, which is really short though. Do you have anything you want to add to, to the pro- program I just discussed? Honestly, no, that sounded like a uh, pretty thorough description of what it was. And I think that's pretty like easy to understand. Yeah, right. It's uh, he's also a comedian, so that's that's why I said, <laughs> "Are you a bit fucked? Could you not be fucked?" Right? It's yeah. it's, it's easy to understand. Yeah, uh, yeah. So, Doctor Gabor's he he's like he has a a five step recovery program, which is 
kind of it's it's kind of comparable to what the previous programs that we have just discussed, but they they all kind of tell it in a different way. So what what this five steps uh, that Dr. Gabor has looks like? It's like if I'm only going to mention the steps right now, right? It's like relabel, reattribute, refocus, revalue, and recreate. That, that's those are the five steps, and to to kind of tell you what it means so the first step is relabel and it means changing your view about the need you feel when you have an addictive urge so it's not a real need it's a deep coping mechanism from your addicted brain that's relabeling so so don't think it's a real need but acknowledge that it's a, a way to deal with your emotions from your addicted brain and then you go to reattribute, which is learn to blame the urge on your addicted brain this is my brain sending me a false message you are not your thoughts nor your brain it's it's like buddha said right you should be the observer because you are not your thoughts um and then you have step three which is refocus which is when feeling an urge try to delay the gratification or do something else right away for 15 minutes every time you feel the urge right Mm. So you you try to shift the focus, exactly what I said. So when you have an urge, find something to do right away. You know in your mind, this is what I am supposed to be doing when I have an urge. So I just go outside because, I mean, outside, I'm not going <laughs> to masturbate, bro. Mm. So, I mean, if, if I go outside and I really keep myself to that, it's just gone. The urge is gone. And they have revalue. Every time you get an urge, ask yourself what this addictive behavior has actually done for you. Remember how much worse it's going to get if you continue. And does this behavior match your higher values? Because, I mean, I was ashamed of, of my addiction and the fact that I was still watching porn, even though I knew how dirty the industry is and how destructive the behavior is. So does it match your higher values? For me, it was no. And th that's exactly why it was so destructive if I kept relapsing. Um, then we have step five, which is recreate. And that's choosing a different life. Replace your addiction with productive habits and things you actually love to do. And that's where self-improvement kicks in. That's, that's where you can choose to be part of a, co a community like Hamza's cult, for example. This is all about improving yourself. And at some point, it's, it's not even about self-improvement anymore. But, but those kind of movements, they give you the kind of the basic structure to choose a life for yourself that, that is something to be proud of. And that's great. So participate in that. And eventually, you will not really be on self-improvement anymore, but it will just be a regular life it will be your, your normal life you know to just mm. take good care of yourself because would you say that's that's for you right now would you say you are in self-improvement or you're you're just living your regular life right now but it's normal honestly to, uh... um that's a fantastic question i mean i still would consider myself someone who is on self-improvement but the thing is a lot of these habits that I now do are very autonomous. They're not something that I have to, you know, actively exert a lot of willpower yeah. to do. It's something that's kind of like 
you know, I, I automatically read, I automatically journal, I automatically meditate. It's a habit at this point. It's something ingrained yeah, it, in my it, it, it life. It becomes a part of you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I would say that I'm still in self-improvement as well, but that's because I'm, I'm proud that I'm still kind of on that sure. because I just love the whole the whole term, you know, and the, the movement. The movement, it. exactly. Yeah, damn, bro. Like, that's so inspiring, right? We give, mm-hmm. we give these young boys a, a direction. And, and it's all about improving yourself, man. Exactly. It's beautiful. Yeah, bro. I, can, I, I, I fucking get tears when I talk about that, bro. That's, that's <laughs> fucking amazing, right? We, we, got, we got this, this world fucking being lost in social media. And then we have a movement that it's totally focused on healing and, and positivity. It's beautiful. It's, yeah, it's beautiful. All right. So we are kind of getting to the end right now of, of all of this. Um, mm. so I had one more thing that was, I, I wrote down on my list that of the things that I wanted to discuss and it was the most important step to recovery. And I think that the most important step is going into some form of therapy eventually. What mm. do you think about that? Uh, I've never had any experience with therapy. I want to try it at some point, but I mean, I feel like, again, it really depends on where your addiction stems from. I've said this multiple times, but yeah, uh, honestly, I believe that anyone can tackle the addiction by themselves, but if you want to get rid of that addiction as fast as possible, yeah, therapy is a fantastic option. No, but it's, I'm, I'm also, what I'm mostly talking about is, I mean, you can get rid of addiction without therapy. Mm-hmm. But but if your addiction is gone, that doesn't mean that the problem is gone. That's true. So what I'm talking about with psychotherapy is that with what you do with psychotherapy is you you open that little fucking cage that you have inside yourself and all the, the fucking deep, darkest problems that you have suppressed are coming out again. So mm-hmm. it, it might sound like it's, it's fucking useless. Like you are literally searching for pain. That's what you are doing in psychotherapy. You are searching for what pain is still inside of you. So you can feel that and accept it so that you can actually move on from your past life. Because like people choose to go on self-improvement eventually. And it feels like it's all behind, but it can be that you are still unconsciously the pain could still be inside your system and you you can still feel guilt and, and pain and all that about things that have happened to you. So it's more like, how, how would I say that? It's, it's kind of an after cure to make sure that everything is actually cured, not to the point where, as we said, the addiction is a symptom of the problem. So not to the point where the addiction is gone, but the the cause stays. You need to work on the cause mm, as well. For and, sure. And for most of us, it's always has to deal with emotions. And it almost always has to deal with trauma. And trauma can be small things, but also things like a plane crash or whatever. But for most of us, it, it has to do with parent relationships. The, mm. the parents are one of the most important things, you know. And well, yeah, you know, it can be a lot of things it can be so much things and and that's that's the thing everybody has something to process so even for people like you as you said for you said you didn't really have a, 
a hard traumatic childhood, right? No, I had a fantastic childhood. Yeah, so so I I even think for you that if you go into therapy, the amount of healing and everything that you can get out of that, I I think it's always beneficial to do that to to better understand yourself and and your emotions. So I think that that's a step that everybody should take. Mm. Every, everybody should should be taking that step eventually. Like, cause, cause that's some real self-improvement stuff. If you go face those demons, you don't know what's, what's gonna, what's gonna be coming for you. So it's, it's a scary step. And sure. even after a few sessions, when I first started psychotherapy, because I have, I guess I had a little bit more than 10 sessions right now. And, and I'm a lucky guy because my insurance pays for it. So I can do it totally for free. But after a few sessions, I didn't want to go anymore because because the amount of pain I was feeling from, you know, facing those pains that I used to feel and looking back at what has happened to me. But mm. being with that and, and really allowing your body to process those things and look at it, I think that is immense healing. Like, that's that's amazing. For sure. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the thing is, therapy, it's, I, I can't necessarily touch on it myself. However, it's always good to have someone who is not you, someone with a different perspective, take a look at you. Because again, you from your own lens, even if you're able to sort of step out of your lens and see things objectively, you still don't have every perspective avail- available on yourself. So it's always important yeah. to just get a, another perspective from anyone else. Yeah. yeah, so friends can be it as well. Like friends, you can really use friends as kind of a mirror for yourself to show to deal with your emotions but what a therapist mostly does is a therapist won't tell you like oh yeah you've got a lot of trauma from uh, your parents they, they won't tell you like that they will what they do is listen and ask questions that's the only thing they do they don't tell you the solution to your problems they they lead you to the answer yourself so it's really you you can see it as kind of a, a journey within yourself and they mm. they are the ones who they're like the guide. facilitating yeah they are the guide they are the ones who are facilitating it and but don't don't expect the therapist to be like oh yeah you should do this that and uh then it's it's solved they don't do that sure. you do it but they are the guides basically For yeah sure. well i guess we have almost discussed everything huh yeah. we have discussed everything let's see we're we are in for a little more than an hour now, 70 minutes. Um, I thought it would be great to to give a, a summary and I have some book recommendations uh, for mm-hmm. people. Um, so yeah, let, let's give a bit of a summary first, right? Um, so what is an addiction? You can go on this one, man. Let me just get my notes really quick. I just yeah. closed it for a second. But uh, honestly, addiction is really just a sort of compulsive need to do some behavior. And it typically, even if it has adverse effects, even if it causes some sort of damage, even then you're still compulsively using whatever. Yeah, a dependence on the substance. So exactly. I, I call that a, a coping mechanism because it's always related to um, dealing with a certain emotion. So you call it a coping mechanism. And the, the quote I said at the beginning was, 
it's a response to human suffering. So that's that's what an addiction is. And our experience with addiction, well, I've been addicted to porn and gaming and also pleasing other people and social media. And for you, part? Uh, mainly video games, PMO, social media. Those are like the biggest three things. Yeah, the modern addictions. Huh? I, yeah. I, I guess that's for everybody, for, for the whole audience that's watching those videos that we put out right now. This is the addiction of, of the times that we are facing right now. Mm-hmm. I the think a lot. Cigarette. Yeah, it, it's not really, I guess less people are addicted to cigarettes than social media because people think oh, it's definitely. normal. Yeah. All right. So um, how an addiction develops. Okay. So we already, let's see, I'm getting confused now. So <laughs> the addict comes to depend on the substance or behavior in order to make himself feel momentarily calmer or less excited or dissatisfied with his life. So it, it develops because you need a solution to a problem. Mm-hmm. That's that's why it develops, and it's it can be because of childhood, or whatever. Because in a real sense, the parents' brain programs the infants, and two identical seeds cultivate under opposing conditions that would yield two different plants, basically. So, sure. if your child has been horrible, and part's childhood has been amazing, it, it <laughs> it's it's different, right? So exactly. Okay, so we were talking about the biology of addiction. Um, yeah, I don't really know how we can touch anything more on the biology of addiction, right? It's it's with the dopamine. I guess everybody knows yeah. about that. Yeah. I mean, if you want me to, I could quickly touch on like the actual receptor science and that, but I feel like that's a tangent. Yeah, I guess that's not really like, of course, we can touch on that, but that's not really uh, relevant anymore, I think, right now. That's true. Right? Yeah. yeah. So, but but everybody knows that that you get addicted to the dopamine kick to like the with the reward system of the brain, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. So let's go to the myths about nicotine and genes, right? So it's it's not the drug that you are addicted to. It's It's not because of the nicotine. It's because of the emotional satisfaction that you get from this. And um, this science called epigenetics, it's it's only the environment that can uh, activate the genetics. And so there's no uh, specific gene for alcoholism, obesity, or whatever. And there are no autonomous dictators of your destiny. So people only grab these these excuses to to kind of remove responsibility so Mm -hmm. it's it's not that's not the cause of your addiction basically uh and everything can be an addiction because it's about what emotional satisfaction you get from indulging into behavior and oh i see we have actually forgot to discuss one topic here if i look at my notes um well let's see should we touch that one? It's about the war on drugs because that's really what's going on right now. Do you want to get into uh, this still? I mean, I have no problem getting into it personally. Uh, it's really up to you. Okay, yeah. Maybe we are confusing the audience a little bit because we were closing off, but yeah. I mean, I think it's an important part to discuss. So let's still go into that, right? So 
I put it down here because it's it's a big problem at this moment right now because governments have a, a policy of um, dealing with drug addicts, right? They mm-hmm. they they put people in prison. They put drug addicts in prison because they keep using, and they say that it's a war on drugs. So they don't want the drugs to be there. Blah blah blah, and they they put people in 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 prison but they are not helping the people um, by their policy. So the, the whole policy is, is constructed that like there is no way that these addicts will get their drugs in a safe environment. So what's happening now is the reason why all drugs addicts steal is because they need to find a way to support their addiction because that shit is expensive as hell. So the, the drug addict isn't necessarily a criminal, but they have to steal to support their addiction. So what we should do in order to not have a war on drugs, but actually help the addict is by giving them a safe environment where we have trained psychiatrists and therapists who can help them and also actually prescribe them the drug to give them a a safe way to consume it so it's kind of a clinic where you are literally giving people the substance they are addicted to to make sure they don't go to the street to steal them to steal the substance right to to steal mm-hmm. things to in order to get enough money to support their addiction so the the important thing here is that um oh it's shit my my zoom is glitching Hold on. <laughs> the, the important thing that I wanted to touch here is that there needs to be a change in the drug policy that's currently sure. going. Because it has been shown fucking a thousand times that the policy that's here right now doesn't work. Mm-hmm. Because we, we are putting these people in prison and getting rid of them. And I mean, you know, there's no no crime then you know because they are in jail but we are not helping the drug addict because if we are talking about an addiction that's so like an addiction to ecstasy bro those kind of things they are like next level shit that's that's not some some porn or gaming addiction this shit is like man that's that's a lot worse and and the most hardcore drug addicts these people have been abused in childhood it's like two out of three of these people have have been abused or or sexually um, sexually abused even. So what I wanted to say about this war on drugs is that if you have the knowledge uh, because you have recovered from your addiction, we should find a way to kind of you know just like we do with all these prote- protests you know about about uh, gay marriage and stuff. There should be people that actually put energy to changing the way that this uh, system is constructed right now, because we are we are destroying people with this whole policy. We are putting traumatized people who need a hug, literally a hug. They need a hug. They need somebody to be there for them and talk with them in order to actually change something about this. But we are putting these people in jail. And even I, like before I knew this, I was so judgmental about people using drugs. 
but I didn't know what, what was driving those behaviors. And I really think in order to, to find a good way to actually help these people, we need to look at that. And it's especially important that they have a safe environment where they get the drug prescribed by a psychiatrist, right? Mm-hmm. I think I think that's one of the most important things. And for for our audience, that's that's not really relevant. But this is one of the biggest problems right now, that that goes about addiction and drugs, right? Mm-hmm. So it's really important that that this is gonna be changed soon, because people are literally suffering and dying because of this policy. And um, yeah, so we should really change that. And I guess that was really all I had to say about that. I mean, something that I could add is a lot of times prevention is a cure. It's really important to educate people and, and teach them that these addictions are dangerous. They just are something or things that are not to be dabbled in. So really, the government needs to change what they're doing. And instead of detaining people, putting them in jail for using these drugs, they need to be educating before they even get addicted to these drugs. Yeah, so educating about trauma and emotions, but also about, like, we don't have anybody that's teaching us about how to find a good way to deal with social media. Mm -hmm. Like, everybody is on social media, and nobody has has any kind of education that they get on high school. It, it, it's, it can only be a few, a few classes that you have about healthy way to using with this and, and trauma. Like they can only do a few lessons, give you a few classes about this. And then you know enough in order to kind of go safe about it. So that's really an important thing. Yeah, it's, it's good that you added that because we don't have that as well. We, we don't have... Uh, people teaching about addiction on high schools but those are the people that are addicted to porn and social media and it's the same with drugs we are only focused on removing the war on drugs we we are focused on fucking stopping drug dealers but we are not focused on helping the addicts and educating them so yeah yeah that was really it. Um, so to to go further with the summary, um, figure out your trigger to, to recover from addiction and replace the bad and destructive habits with a good life. And that's where self-improvement kicks in. You can get your dopamine from, from those things. And we are going to link down the, the recovery programs from Russell Brand and uh, the book that uh, Part talked about. We are going to uh, link them in the description. And maybe you can actually use that. I, I personally don't have experience with these programs, but looking at it here, I think it's amazing. And that's like, you can journal about this for hours. And I think that has immense healing in it. Uh, so you could definitely use those. And um, well, as we have just said, uh, therapy is a good step. And that was really also it for, for summarizing the whole thing. And then to kind of end it off, um, what were the two books you were talking about, Par? 
The main two books, uh, the one related to quitting APMO addiction is called The Easy Peasy Method. It's an yeah. online book for free. And then the other book was called Dopamine Nation. Okay. Yeah. So we are going to link those below. And then I, I had uh, five books as well that I wanted to recommend. So first I have uh, from Dr. Gabor Matei. Uh, it's called In the Realm of a Hungry Ghost. Uh, this is about addiction and and everything related to that. And he he says on, on the cover of the book, he says, if if you want to cure addiction, you have to go back to the start. So this is a lot about, about trauma. And it's also about uh, the war on drugs and all those things. And it's it's a really beautiful book. He he really talks about his experience as a, a clinical psychiatrist. So it's it's really an amazing book. And then I have two books that are really related to trauma, which is the mother-son dynamic uh, from John Lee. Uh, and in this book, it's mostly about the relationship with your mother and whether or not it's healthy. And it's important really to look at the relationship that you have with your parents because, I mean, they've been around you for your entire life. So if if there's always some impact that they had on you that might not be as positive as you has as you have wished so reading that book i've learned a lot from just reading about that and it's it's a really easy book you can read that in a week or so in a few days uh and then uh we have a book from amir levine it's called attached have, have you read that book part i've not read it personally but i've heard a lot of good things yeah yeah i, I saw hamza recommending it uh, i i haven't read it too but it's about attachment relationships, so that that always really is good if you are trying to educate yourself about, uh, you know, parent relationships and trauma in general, because that's really a lot related to your addiction. So I would definitely recommend that. And then I have two more, which is one from Russell Brand, uh, the guy from the Twelve Step Program, and this is really the book that's about the Twelve Step Program. It's called uh, Recovery. Freedom from Our Addictions uh, from Russell Brand. So you, you can get that one as well. It's, uh, I haven't read it personally, but I think it's a, it's a good book because we have talked about the program. And then I have one more, which I actually have read. Uh, it's about uh, the boy crisis uh, from Warren Farrell. And I think that's actually quite relevant because, I mean, if you look at the self-improvement movement, it's a boys movement, you know, because the boys are the ones who need this at this particular moment, because all boys are addicted to porn. And this book gets really into the struggles that boys are facing for the past 20 years. So for example, it states that um, the suicide rates of boys, for example, is eight times more than that of girls. Did you know that? I did not. That's actually very crazy. Yeah, that's it's very crazy, and and it's you know it it it's, it states even more than that, but it's it's really ridiculous the amount of pain and and shit that boys face right now, and and it also talks about the education system and the fact that uh, boys grow up without dads, for example, like the the amount of shit that boys go through because they don't have a male role model, because that's what 
that's that's what the self-improvement YouTubers like Hamza are being for us boys. They, they are being a role model. And Hamza has a, the fatherless podcast. So he's really focusing on being a role model for boys because he knows that like like two out of three boys right now grow up without a male role model because the increased amount of rights that women have when they divorce, right? Because it's it's automatic that the woman gets the baby she gets to keep it and the dad just has to go away so that like this this is also a problem with policies really people don't realize how important a dad figure or father figure is so there was really the five books that i would recommend and i of course i have a lot more um but these these five are the most relevant for what we have talked about uh in this podcast episode and in the link of the description, I have uh, this PDF from Russell Brand's 12 Steps, and I have some videos uh, from a TED Talk and a podcast episode from Russell Brand about the program. So you can check those out. And I want to thank you for listening. And let us know in the comments what you think about this episode and give us some feedback because it's this is the first episode. And I really like to hear what could be better, what was good and what was not good. and Thank you for listening. I appreciate you for inviting me up here, bro. I really I like the opportunity, man. I appreciate it. Yeah, it was great, man. We, we can add a lot of value if, if we are together in this one. Man, uh, I, sure. I think it's great to, to do this. So, yeah, thank you for, uh, you know, allowing me to invite you in the first place. You're very <laughs> enthusiastic about it, right? So sure. that was very nice, man. Thank you. Wow, if you've made it this far, that's fucking amazing, man. Thank you for listening. And definitely consider uh, liking and subscribing uh, to our podcast if you love it. And leaving a good review would really help us grow our podcast. And really stay tuned for the coming weeks because we just started off now and there will be a lot of amazing people on the podcast. So stay tuned for those episodes and I would love to see you again. Thank you. Have a beautiful day.